Yesterday, as I sat in traffic, feeling somewhat frustrated and watching some of the crazy antics of other drivers, there was a word that kept bubbling up on my lips quite a bit. It was mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard that used uh, in many ways all my life. I've used it myself, usually in a response to something that may be just awesome or beautiful. Wow, like mercy or something frustrating or awful. Mercy. But this word, when we take it into our spiritual context, our spiritual understanding in the scriptures, we discover that the word mercy refers to our God's compassionate, tender, loving kindness generously given to us. These words express what God wants to give to each one of us. In spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done, in spite of our disobedience to God. In Luke 18, verse 38, we have recorded forever the words of a blind beggar who hears Jesus passing by and calls out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus does, for he heals him. This prayer, spoken by this blind beggar, has touched our lives now for centuries. It became a part of the liturgy of the Christian church in the celebration of Holy Communion. It is an invocation, a calling to our God. It is an opening prayer in worship. We say in the Greek words, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And as we speak these words, they become our prayer. And indeed, in the Orthodox Christian tradition, these words have become a prayer known as the Jesus Prayer that has been spoken for centuries as an act of devotion. I learned about this prayer form several years ago, and for me it became a wonderful way of praying. But let me share a story with you. In his book called Wisdom for the Journey, Serge Bolzhakov, who is or was a, an Orthodox Christian from Russia, tells a true story of what happened as he became aware of the Jesus prayer spoken by the beggar. He and his grandmother were walking on a very cold, clear January day, snow everywhere. In 1908, he was seven years old. And as they walked along, they met a priest from the monastery. He had on a blue cassock, no coat, no hat, no gloves, and no shoes. And yet it was well below freezing. And he walked as if it were a spring day. They spoke for a few moments, and after he passed, Serge turned to his grandmother and he said, Grandmother, how can that be? How can that man walk in the snow? And he is not cold, and his feet look rosy and warm. His grandmother wisely replied, It is the prayer. What prayer, grandmother? The Jesus prayer. 
Those who pray it unceasingly warm themselves. It is a prayer that you should learn, Serge. It is a prayer that you should use. Never abandon this wonderful prayer. Today, we join with Christians around the world and with the saints through the ages who have also prayed this prayer in one form or another. And we cry out to our compassionate, loving God, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Kyrie eleison. It's something we all need.
having called on the mercy of God, let us come before this wonderful God and confess our sins. Please join with me in the prayer printed in our bulletin. Almighty and most merciful Father, we give thanks to you for your everlasting love. We confess that we have made mistakes and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the desires of our own hearts, and we have left undone those things that we ought to have done. Have mercy on us and forgive us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. And as the forgiven and loved children of God, let us join our voices in the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. There were 52 floats at the River Parade Monday night, and the theme was holidays. So as you can imagine, they had to stretch after a while. The first floats were pretty obvious. There were Easter and Christmas and Independence Day and Mother's Day and, and Father's Day and Texas Independence Day. And all that works for me. But eventually they had to stretch, and so they got down to Super Bowl. And then my favorite, Spring Break. When God gave the people of Israel holidays, God gave them seven holidays started with Passover, and then ended in the fall with the Feast of the Tabernacles. What was interesting, though, is that 37 days off were included in those seven holidays. And if you add that to all of the Sabbaths that they were supposed to be taken every week, you realize that God really believes in rest and celebration. God wants God's people to stop and enjoy and celebrate life. In fact, I think one of the reasons we have to work so hard to think of reasons to celebrate like fiesta or stock show and rodeo is because we don't celebrate the things that God tells us to celebrate. Because we're not good at taking a Sabbath. Because we really don't uh, celebrate Easter except with a shopping uh, for candy and Christmas except for presents. You see, the advantage of celebrating what God asks us to celebrate is God's celebrations are based on what God does for us. Our celebrations, Super Bowl and Spring Break, they're about ourselves. And I wonder, when push comes to shove, when things really get tough, would you rather trust in Spring Break or would you rather trust in God who raised Jesus from the dead? It's good to celebrate. That's why we're here today, to glorify and celebrate God.
when Indiana Jones is searching for the Holy Grail. The Nazis who want it even more desperately than, than he does uh, shoot his father so that he will take the necessary chances and risk his life to get the Holy Grail to bring healing water to his father's wound. And so when the Nazis sympathizers trying to convince Indiana Jones to go forward with the search for the Holy Grail, even that great peril and the risk of his life, he says to him these words, Dr. Jones, it's time for you to ask yourself what you really believe. What do you really believe? Not about the Holy Grail, but about God. Robert Novak says that we all have public convictions, those things that we stand up uh, during the offertory or after a scripture reading or an appropriate place in the service, and we claim to believe. Then there are those private convictions. Those are the things that privately to ourselves that, that we know we claim to believe. Maybe we don't tell a lot of people, but we say we believe them. And then he says there are core convictions, and those are the things that you really believe because you act on them in your life. We say we believe a lot of things. But the way to know what we really believe is through our actions, what we do. People claimed to believe in God. They were with great excitement moving forth out of Egypt when all of a sudden they hit the Red Sea. The sea was in front of them. The Egyptian soldiers were behind them, death in both directions. And God's instructions were, to Moses were clear. Tell the people to go forward into the sea. Tell them to walk into the sea. It's time to ask what you really believe. What do you really believe? When someone cuts you off on the freeway, when someone you don't know doesn't look like you moves into your neighborhood, when your job is threatened, when the offering plate is passed, when illness strikes, what do you do? Whatever you do, that's what you really believe.
Centuries ago, a rabbi was making his way into a town. And as he was on the road traveling, he ran into a young boy, and he asked the boy which way to the town. And the boy said, well, there's the short way and the long way, or the long way and the short way. And he said, well, tell me the short way and the long way. So he told him. So he made his way quickly to the outskirts of the town, and then suddenly ran into to orchards and vineyards and uh, terrain that was impossible to cross to get into town. So he had to turn around and go all the way back. And he saw the boy again. He said, I thought you told me that was the short way. He said, I told you that was the short way and the long way. Now, here's the long way and the short way. And he told him, and the rabbi went around a longer route but found fewer di- diversions and obstructions and made his way into town. When it comes to growing our faith, there's the short way and the long way, or the long way and the short way. The short way, which turns out to be the long way, is to tell yourself to have more faith. Just next time something comes up, I'm going to believe harder. I'm going to trust more and will yourself into it. But Dallas Willard is so wise when he says to us that the things of faith are very, very rarely executed and acquired by direct effort alone, just at the moment they're required. So let me suggest to you the long way and the short way to growing your faith. The long way is to praise God in all of your situations, in all of your circumstances, to give God glory and praise no matter whether things look good at the moment or bad at the moment. The long way is to make an exercise of being grateful and begin to make a list and keep a list of all those things God has done for you, beginning with creation and salvation and guidance through the Holy Spirit and then to all the things God has given you individually in your own life. Make that list. Praise God and thank God every day for all that God has done. It will take some time, 
to be sure, to write this list, to go over it daily, more often as necessary. But then you'll find by going this long way, when the heat is on, shortly you'll have all the faith that you need. This morning as the ushers and acolytes come forward, we have our opportunity to say thank you to God with the giving of our tithes and offerings. Would you join me please? in the prayer that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Life-giving Spirit, bring to the bones of these gifts the flesh of our actions and the breath of our caring, that our church and our service to others may come to life in your name. Amen.
You may be seated. Since childhood, one of my favorite hymns has always been, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. It is a wonderful hymn that speaks of the holiness of God and indeed describes God and God's very being. We also use this word, which means sacred, set apart, separate from the world, to describe things where we experience the touch of God. Things like the Holy Bible, Holy Communion, the Holy City, the Holy Land, the Holy of Holies, Holy Places. In 1980, I had the opportunity to go on a pilgrimage to Israel. And after a week in Israel, we then flew north up to Germany and Austria to continue our time of pilgrimage. And I had the opportunity to spend the night in Salzburg, Austria. And on Sunday morning, we went to worship there in the great cathedral in Salzburg. And while we were there in worship, I experienced the holy. I experienced the Holy Spirit's power coming on me. And at first, I I wasn't sure, but I knew I was in the presence of God. And in those moments, I was able to receive forgiveness and to experience truly forgiving someone who had hurt me deeply. And my life changed forever. Twenty years later, the Lord gave me another opportunity to be in Salzburg. This time it was on a weekday, and we just had a few hours. But as soon as I got off the bus, the first place I headed was that cathedral. Because I wanted to remember and give thanks for that event in my life. For you see, once, however we experience the holy, we know it. And we yearn for more. And I walked into that cathedral. There were hundreds of tourists in there. It was noisy. Nobody was worshiping. But I walked through those doors. And in that moment, everything faded. And that same powerful experience of the holy washed over me again. And I wanted to just stay in that place. You see, God comes to us in the unexpected moments of our lives to bless us with his presence and love, to give us a taste of the holy that God alone is. Today, as we hear the cry of holy, sanctus, let it be our heart's cry as well. And be watchful and waiting, for you never know when the holy will meet you.
narrow side. He was blind, he could not see, oh no. Then the master of the earth and sky touched his eyes and he... If the historian Josephus was anywhere close to correct, Passover must have been quite a sight in Jerusalem. More than a quarter of a million lambs were slaughtered on Passover. And through the valleys, rivers of water had mixed with rivers of blood. Now these lambs had to be raised by law in Bethlehem. And from the flocks of Bethlehem on the On uh, four days before Passover, the families would go and choose the sacrificial lamb. They would take the lamb to live with them for four days. The the lamb became pet and, and friend, and that may seem cruel on the one hand, but then the family would understand the price of sin when you watched something you had come to love be slaughtered. The lambs, well, for their part in the matter, they really didn't have a choice. They were raised, they were picked, and then it was time to be slaughtered. But this particular lamb had a choice. As he left the upper room, as he headed across the Kidron Valley, filled with blood, blood no, uh, more than likely, that was several inches, if not a foot deep, would have gotten on the hem of his robe. He had a choice. But he kept walking, walked all the way across the valley, went up to the Garden of Gethsemane. When he could have turned back, he didn't. 
They arrested him. He could have called down angels and escaped, but he didn't. He, he kept walking. This lamb had a choice. As you look back now, 2,000 years, you can say, who took this lamb's life? Was it the Jewish authorities? Was it the Romans? The fickle people? And the truth, of course, is that none of them took this lamb's life. He had a choice. He gave it. He gave it. And if he never gave me anything else, what he gave that night and the next day was more than enough.
as we close, consider this your invitation to the invitation. Our um, newly revamped Wednesday night uh, worship service, which is at 6.30 and is unveiled on May the 14th. Remember also, there are prayer ministers available for you at the close of When the people were trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptians, they cried out to God, and Moses heard their crying, and so he cried out to God. And an interesting response was made by God. God said, why are you crying out to me, Moses? And so interpreters have long wondered what that meant. And some mean that at this time, when you're trapped, there's no time for long prayers. And God's telling Moses to move it on. And you probably feel that when you reach the end of the service. But there's another interpretation that God is saying to Moses, you don't have to cry out to me. I've already heard your people's prayer. I'm already starting on the solution. As you go from here, go in peace and the confidence that God has gone before you and has already started moving ahead. Amen.